The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, we thank you so much for joining us today. I know it's Memorial Day weekend, so you may be trying to catch up after your holiday travels or whatever you have going on as summer is in full swing now. We do not want to miss the opportunity, though, to say how thankful and appreciative we are for our service men and women, those who have served, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. We do not have the freedoms that we have today without them, so we are mindful that this is a weekend where we say thank you to our veterans, to our active duty military men and women. We are so, so grateful. We are in the Gospel of Luke still, Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, so it's just a few verses today, but I want to catch us up, just the context of what's going on. Jesus has spoken about the need to trust in him, to make sure that he is the one that you are making sure you have faith in to be ready for what's next, to be ready for eternity. And then at the end of last week's message, he said, I also need you while you're living in this life, I need you to bear fruit. I I need you to be productive. Don't just sit around and wait. Don't just be takers, be contributors, bear fruit for my kingdom. And that's what he will talk about today. He's going to explain in just a few verses what the kingdom of God is like. Now, before we jump in, I I want you to understand one important thing. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. Scripture uses them interchangeably. Okay, so we will talk about the kingdom of God today, but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, when you read it, it's the same thing. As you go through scripture, you're going to see those two phrases a bunch. And you're going to see them a bunch because this kingdom is very important for us to understand. Because there's so much written about it, because it's so important for us to understand, it is a massive concept. And massive concepts need to be broken down. So today, Jesus is going to explain to his hearers one small concept about the kingdom of God. And it's this. It starts off little but it becomes great. Now, he's already explained that his kingdom is a backwards kingdom. Okay? He's the king of a backwards kingdom where the greatest is the servant of all, where the one who's the strongest is the weakest. It's a backwards kingdom. He's already explained that, and there's many other lessons that we need to grasp, but for today, for today, it is simply this, that the kingdom Jesus rules and reigns over. Okay? The kingdom he rules and reigns over is one that's going to look very, very tiny in its infancy, but it will ultimately change the world. And if we want the most simple definition of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is, it is simply that. It's the rule and the reign of Jesus. But it didn't begin that way, okay? It didn't begin that way. Jesus solidified his place in the kingdom through his death and his resurrection. But it started before that. It started with John the Baptist who proclaimed, hey, the kingdom's coming, people. The kingdom is coming. You need to get ready. You need to repent. And then Jesus jumped on and he taught the same thing. He said, the kingdom is near. It's near. You you need to make sure you grasp it. You need to make sure you're ready. Jesus even prayed it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And today, Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he sits at the right hand of God on his throne, King of kings and Lord of lords. His kingdom came when he came to earth. And we need to understand what this is. 
In our passage today, Jesus wants us to understand one important concept about the kingdom. Okay? It's going to start small and seemingly insignificant, but its effects will be enormous. Luke chapter 13, 18 and 19, Jesus asked, what's the kingdom of God like? Do do you know, do, do you have any idea, what's the kingdom of God like? What can I compare it to? You know, it's, it's kind of like a mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, probably his herb garden, okay? But that garden and that seed, it grew. It grew and it became a tree. It became a tree that's so big that birds could perch in its branches. A mustard seed was well known in that time. It's one of the smaller seeds that there is, yet the average size of a mustard plant is four feet in height. You're going to have a picture pop up right now to let you see one. I I didn't know what a mustard plant looked like. I I just thought it came out of the yellow bottle. I didn't know where we got that from, but it's four feet in height on average, but they've been known to grow up to 10 feet tall. Like a tree, literally large enough for birds to perch on. Its humble beginnings produces something few would ever expect. And Jesus says, that's like the kingdom of God. That's like the kingdom of God. No one would expect the kingdom of God to turn out the way that it does. The birds being present there, there's a ton, a ton of textual substantiation to think that that means Gentiles are going to be included in the kingdom of God. And I I know for, for us, we're like, what does that even mean? Well, the Jews in the first century believed that the kingdom of God was just for them. And so when Jesus says, this little seed grows up and becomes like a tree, a tree big enough for the birds, the, the ones you wouldn't expect to ever be able to, to find shelter there, they find shelter in the mustard plant. And in the Old Testament, there's six different evaluations or interpretations of Gentiles being likened to birds. So it's probable that that's even what Jesus is trying to explain now. The kingdom of God is going to be for everyone It's going to start small. It's going to get big. Luke chapter 13, 20 and 21, he says again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. We buy our flour in five-pound bags. That's a bunch of flour. And until it's worked all the way through the dough and that yeast, it has a humongous effect on that dough. One commentator wrote that 60 pounds of flour would be, enough to, would be enough flour to make bread for 160 people for a week. This is a massive amount of flour, a massive amount of bread, and just a small amount of yeast makes it all possible. I actually know this firsthand. My first W-2 job like that I actually paid taxes for was at Fresh and Yogurt. Penn Square Mall, Fresh and Yogurt, 17 years old. On the corner there, if you can picture it, it was called Fresh and Yogurt because on the food court side, it was frozen yogurt, but on the mall side, it was handmade pretzels. And I became a pretty salty pretzel maker, not going to lie. I was really good at twisting and laying down, and, and I, even during the holiday seasons and the weekends, I could keep up. And I remember the recipe to this day, 20 pounds of flour in this massive bowl Several cups of water, a little bit of salt, maybe something else. Sugar, I can't remember, really. But uh, anyway, I do remember this. Then a sugar packet, it was pre-measured. It was a sugar packet size, but it wasn't close to full of yeast. 
and you opened that up and you threw it in last. And then you mixed it all up for like five minutes and you pulled out a glob of dough and you walked over and you threw it on the counter and you covered it with cellophane and for the next 45 minutes you watched this glob of dough that was already huge double in size. And then you cut off four ounce portions and you twisted them up, you laid them on a tray, sprayed them with some salt water and then you put those trays in a rack and you watch that dough then again double in size in the form of pretzels. Now, you never want to go to a pretzel shop. Never want to go to a pretzel shop on a weekend because they don't have enough time. They're trying to, trying to crank out the pretzels. And Annie Ann's was our stepsister, but they, they, did, they did pretzels worse than we did. We did them with love. And anyway, so they, you go there and you get this little bitty pretzel. The reason being, the yeast had not had time to work. The best pretzels, the best ones, like on a Wednesday afternoon when no one's at the mall. And that dough had a chance to rise, and then those pretzels had a chance to rise, and you threw them in the oven, you pulled them out, you dipped them in the butter, put the salt on, or the cinnamon sugar. I'm good with either one. Those were the best pretzels. One itty-bitty tiny amount of yeast made the biggest difference in whether or not that pretzel was dingy and little and hard or beautiful and fluffy and soft. The yeast made all the difference in the world, and whether or not it had enough time to work. I remember seeing this and going, that's some powerful stuff. And Jesus says, that's, that's the kingdom. That, that's, that's how the kingdom works. The point of his two illustrations is super clear. The kingdom of God may seem to be small, but it's powerful. Think about the beginnings of the kingdom. Jesus' birth in a manger, a virgin, Mary, known by no one. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't ring any bells. That doesn't excite anyone. The movement of the church began with 12 very ordinary men. Not 12,000, not 120,000, 12 very ordinary men. The coronation ceremony for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was a cross. If you were betting on the kingdom of God based purely on what you could see from its physical origins, you would be thinking you were backing the wrong horse. You would be certain that this carpenter's son from Nazareth has no chance of transforming the world. And the 12 men he picked, one of whom betrayed him at his death, they're not going to be able to carry on when he's gone. And now he just died a sinner's death. If you want to look at humble origins, the birth of the kingdom of God is humble. But just like a mustard seed, just like yeast and dough, it's humble origins, it's small beginnings produce great power. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the power. The proof is in the ability for lives to be transformed, for sin and darkness to be destroyed. It's, it's not about the grandeur in the kingdom of God. It never has been. It's not about the words... Anyone can make anything sound great. Does it work? Does it affect a change? 
and the kingdom of God, that's all it does. It steps into darkness, it steps into hurt, and it affects change. It transforms, it brings life. Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. This kingdom doesn't sound great in its beginning, but it cannot be shaken. It will not be destroyed. The victory that this kingdom will see is secured. It is secured by the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Something very small becomes something very powerful. The kingdom of God may seem unassuming, but it is present. It's here. It's all around us. The rule and the reign of Jesus Christ is all around us. Colossians 1, 13 For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. That's what God did. God invaded earth. He came to rescue us from darkness. Darkness we may not even know we are facing. And so many don't. So many don't understand the darkness that they're in. But God invaded this earth. Invaded this earth through his Son, to come and to squelch that darkness, to have victory over that darkness. And the power of the kingdom is in the presence of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, Jesus says to his disciples, all this I have spoken while still with you. I've taught you as much as I can, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. My kingdom is present. I'm a king that cares and that loves and that walks with you. I am a king who wants relationship with you. A king who wants to know you and be known by you. Think of how kingdoms throughout history have existed where the king is exalted and unattainable. The the mere peasants cannot have any access, but this king is a king who says, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. And I want you to know me. I am a king of a kingdom that seems unassuming, but is very present. I'm also a king of a kingdom that is capable of transforming lives with love. That's how God chose to do this. For God so loved the world. That's how he chose to do this. And his working and transforming, it happens for the most part behind the scenes. Because God will never force anyone to love him. He instead woos the hearts, the hearts of men and women. He woos them with grace and mercy, patience, kindness, and love. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst. He's with you. He's present. He's a mighty one who will save. Some translations there call him a warrior. So I'm saying that God transforms lives through his love and through his kindness. And some translations call him a warrior, but I want you to see that he has the power to battle, but he chooses not to. He chooses to love. 
with grace and mercy, patience, kindness. The mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That word exult, 27 times in the Old Testament, it's translated rejoice. So I want you to picture that. There's a God who cares enough about you that he rejoices. He sings loudly and rejoices over you, over you. He knows you and he loves you and he wants to transform your life. I'm reminded of the prodigal son, the son who came to the father and said so disrespectfully, I want my inheritance now because I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to be your son anymore. And he leaves and he squanders all of his wealth and he realizes how good he had it with his father. And he decides to come back and say, can I just be a servant? And on the way back, the father sees the son and stands up and runs. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Are, are, you, are you seeing this? Are you seeing how God moves? Are you seeing how his kingdom works? It's not one of lording over. That's not the kind of kingdom he wants. It's one of compassion and grace and kindness and mercy. God is for you. He wants you to be part of his kingdom. No matter what you've done, no matter, no, no matter how you've affronted him, no matter how you've possibly wounded him, no matter how far you think you are apart from him, should you turn to him, he will run to you. He will embrace you and he will kiss you as a child because you are his child. The kingdom of God requires that your life be transformed through faith in him. But the great news is, the great news, and we call it the gospel, it's the good news, is that God's already done all the work for you. That's how his kingdom works. Behind the scenes, but ever present, moving and wooing you, calling you by name into faithful obedience to him, holding you, embracing you, giving you power every step of the way, never forsaking you, never leaving you alone, making sure his spirit is moving mightily in your life. He's done all the work. He paid all the price. All he asks in return is for your faith. The kingdom of God may seem small and insignificant. However, it's anything but. It is powerful, it is present, and it's able to transform your life. The kingdom of God is able to bring you from death in sin to life in him if you let it. And, and today I just, I ask, would you be able to acknowledge your need for Jesus, the King, Jesus, the King, today. H having heard this and seeing how God and Jesus orchestrated this whole kingdom concept, would you be able to acknowledge your need for him? Will you respond to the Father's love and place your trust in the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Would you be willing to choose today to be a part of the most mighty kingdom this world has ever seen, yet many people don't even know about? It's, 
quite a paradox, right? Billions of people on this earth that have no idea about this kingdom, but it's the most mighty kingdom that the world's ever seen. And it's all based around love for you and you having a place in this kingdom. Will you pray with me and Jesus? Will you pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, meaning in your life and the lives of those that you love? No. Your will be done here as it is in heaven. Will you pray that prayer? Will you trust today in that king? Would you believe that there is a King of Kings and a Lord of Lords who loves you so much that the King himself would lay down his life for you? Would you place your faith and your trust in that King? Would you pray for those who need to place their faith and their trust in that King? And today, would you be willing to embrace your role in the kingdom or step into that role for the very first time. As the God of the universe woos your heart by name through love towards him. Father, show us that great love today. Call us by name into your kingdom. May we be fruitful within your kingdom, those who know and trust in you, And Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and just breathe on us the truth that we need to hear, the commands that we need to obey, the mercy and the grace that we need to receive, the power that will overcome sickness and disease. Holy Spirit, come, for you are present and you are good. We thank you, Jesus. You are the King. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.